From the Winslow T. Broadcast Booth. In freezing. Once again, freezing. Bushwick, Brooklyn. Was it 14 out? It keeps being 14. 821. Sorry. Sorry, weatherman. I'm John Reed. 
You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Race to the Bottom, baby. Yeah. My opening monologue, as always, is sponsored by Winslow Tea, and I'm drinking it now. I got a big old container of Winslow Tea. It's like a trough. Mmm. Mmm. My Nalgene bottle. I'm uh, Visco. I'm not Chugi, but I am Visco. Please hashtag your tea drinking experiences with hashtag how you know to steep right on into the conversation, why don't you? And look, last week, I'm still reeling from, from how amazing the, the listener feedback was. And it's and it starts now. Uh, Jay Clarkson making an omelet and listening to a pizza guy. Join me. Hashtag steep in. Well, it's hashtag how you know, uh, Jay. But thank you nonetheless. Jay, my dad has has uh, turned me on to a new kind of omelet, and I'm going to speak to the listener here. My dad has. Uh, I, w- I went to visit over uh, the holidays, as you do cough button and my dad likes to make these uh these omelets where he my dad's not like a a a chef you know he's he's he knows that he he knows his way he know he knows where the kitchen is i don't know if he knows his way around it but he knows his way around it enough to to get flaming hot potato chips and crunch them up let me know if I'm getting this right, Dad. Doctor Dad, he's he's your your doctor, my dad. He crunches up the flaming hot chips, puts uh, some scrambled eggs on top to kind of do an omelet thing, almost like a tortilla española. Then uh, throws some cheese in there, and then uh, lots of curry. Cumin, all different kinds of spices, basically whatever spices he can find. As as faithful listeners to the show are aware, Dr. Dad grew up in India from age five to age nine. So he's not afraid of the spice. He also puts hot sauce in there. And he said he first got the chips up in the game because they, he needed something to soak up all the hot sauce. Um, and then he like puts a plate over, <laughs> over it or, a um, I, I saw him put a plate over it. I don't know why he's not putting a, um, like a, a lid, but he puts a plate and kind of slow cooks it and turns it into this. It is kind of like a Indian tortilla española, I would say very spicy, but it's kind of got a street food vibe my mom won't touch it but I said dad I applaud your culinary or culinary um, adventure adventureness what's the what's the noun I'm looking for there 
anyway, I, I applaud your, your, uh, your explorations. Maybe that's a, a word I could use there. And so I, I want, I want in. So my dad made, made me an omelet every morning and now I'm trying to perfect it at home. <laughs> anyway, long digression, but but I, I just needed to let you all know what's what's uh, going on with with Doctor Dad. Got to get him back on the show. Um, I was saying, I love, I loved last week when when so many people. Uh, so many listeners hit me up. You can hit me up on the on the Discord chat. You can hit me up on the socials, the Facebook, the the Twitter, the Instagram. You can text me. You can email me. Adventurousness. Thank you, Mom. I guess that is what what I was looking for. And I guess what you're looking for is to know what's what what was in the mashup, right? That's what we do now. We heard from the uh, just the bridge to the Carpenters' uh, version of "Close to You," song written by Burke, Burke, Deborah Burks, <laughs> Bert Bacharach, and that um, that went into uh, Tom York. Um, something from his uh, "Tomorrow's Little Boxes." I'm sorry, this. This was matchup 21. I did this more than a year ago. And I was frantically trying to write down everything in it while it was playing just for you guys. We heard from uh, DeBarge with uh, Rhythm of the Night. Then we heard a little bit of Usher from the short story Follow the House of Usher. DJ's got us falling in love again. But just acapella. And that was um, put... Over top of a little uh, bit of Bjork, who who um, had an album called Vespertine and a song called Heirloom, which I love. We heard from Madlib, Manu Chow, then back to Bjork, and then we heard Rhythm of the Night, but then I also threw in Rhythm as a Dancer there at the end. And who sang... Rhythm is a dancer. Come on. Snap! Exclamation point. Did Snap also sing uh, I've Got the Power? Snap. Or is Snap just a... Uh... Hmm. Uh, research team... Can uh can you look up Snap? Who sang um I've got the power? I've got the power. Is it the same outfit? I know it wasn't Chris Crick, Chris McGregor's Brotherhood of Breath cuz that's what this is. We've got my buddy, longtime uh, friend, Stephen Slack. Great dude, 
He was, uh, you, you might know him from the How the Internet Has Changed Us episodes. Steven Slack, I, I found out in college, he was a, he's a big U2 fan, just like me. Snap is correct. I know, I know Snap is correct, but did Snap also sing I've Got the Power? I know that they sang Rhythm as a Dancer. And not a lot of people were were uh, in college were uh, touting their love for Bono and The Edge, Larry Mullen Jr., Adam Clayton. People were more uh, wanted to talk about uh, the World Bank de- defunding the uh, getting rid of the IMF, right? <laughs> back back then. They wanted to talk about the uh, shutting down the School of Americas. but And I wanted to do those things. But I also had a soft spot for the unforgettable fire and rattle and hum. And in addition to just having a, a ridiculously great sense of humor, Stephen Slack was a U2 fan. And he gave me a, a bootleg of, of U2 playing, on, I think, on the Joshua Tree tour. And I took it with me on, on some travels south of the border. And it was a comfort. And as I get older, I, I try to, I'm trying to litigate my connection with this group U2 We did a show in 2021 with Scott Bunn about The Doors a band with whom I've had a complicated I think a lot of people have a complicated relationship with The Doors I think U2 is a is another one we're just kind of fascinating got a lot of love a lot of haters we're gonna we're gonna figure it out, Stephen and I. If it's the last thing we do, so I just yes. Research team just wrote yes in all caps. So I guess Snap also sings "I've Got the Power." So good on Snap. That's a. Two hit wonder. Yeah, Sarah uh, Sarah D also um, confirming. Man, I need to do a show on Snap! Exclamation point. So Stephen's going to be calling in in a couple minutes. Before before that, I just wanted to see run something by the race to the bottom community you know if if you watch tv at all especially any any sports um i'm sure you see these uh how the these sports betting apps are sweeping the nation and i don't know how suddenly uh gambling i thought gambling was uh partially illegal but i guess if you do it online it's not or something I thought that's why is is Las Vegas um, feeling the the burn from all this. 
I thought that's why people go went to Las Vegas. Because you could... Well, I guess you could do other, other things and, and have it stay there, right? But you watch a Knicks game. Every ad is is a is a different sports betting app. You got the guy from Breaking Bad staring you down. You got JB Smooth screaming at you. And um, I'm wondering what what a uh, race to the bottom betting app would be. What could what what would that look like? Is uh, Dr. Lisa going to call in? Is is uh, John going to go on a digression about <laughs> a uh, 90s R- R&B one hit, two hit wonder? So I thought we'd just run that up the flagpole. Do we have takers? Do we can we get this off the ground? Wow. Got a text, a, a social media post from listener Kathy, who's having some... She's having some Winslow tea with baking soda in, a, in her Winslow sweet tea. And it is, she says it's taking away the, the bitterness. Hashtag how you know. Wow. Did not expect that. How much baking soda are we talking Also saw I know the Super Bowl's coming up. I know we've got some uh vegetarians and vegans, but for those who who want to do some chicken wings, I also saw that baking soda can be the secret ingredient to crispy baked wings. So maybe maybe that's a baking soda revolution. So we're going to figure out you too. This is uh This is my buddy, Tim, listener Tim, with BHS, off of his album, uh, what was this album called? Dog Years. As it fades out. So, for me, and I'm going to ask Stephen about it. Uh, Stephen, you can go ahead and call in when, when you're ready. For me, U2, the whole thing with U2, I used to, my brother's nine years older than me, and I used to get car rides uh, to school. We went to the same uh, same school, Glenn Youngkin Academy. Got a phone call. Race to the bottom. Hey, John, this is Steven. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What's going on, man? Oh, just uh, enjoying this cold winter day down here in Asheville. How are you? Um, I'm, uh, do, I'm enjoy- I guess I'm enjoying this, this cold winter day here in New York City. All right. John, what do we have in common? 
Well, I was just saying we got we got you two uh, in in common, right? I think so. I remember in college, um, con- I, maybe you had confronted me. You were like, "Hey, I hear you like you too," and <laughs> you were like, "Me too," and uh, and so we we you know kind of explored that together. That was fun. You gave me a a, a bootleg uh, cassette of them of them on um, the joshua tree tour and i i took it with me to to like my trip to mexico and guatemala and it was a a solace on that trip oh yeah that's awesome yeah i (laughs) i think i lost that copy myself (laughs) so um when when did you did you so i was just saying my my older brother used to play u2 and so this was in like uh 1986, 87. This was pre-Joshua Tree, but my brother was obsessed with U2, and he uh, drove me to school, and he would play, and I I couldn't stand U2. He would always play them, and I would ask him to play something else until one day I just, th- there was a, a switch that, um, and I guess it was just I. <laughs> I was like overexposed, and then I was like, "Actually, I I love this." Did you have a? Um, you don't have an older brother. How did how did you uh, get into the U two thing? It's a good question. I do have an older sister, and I'll remember she had like a mixtape, you know, um, mm-hmm. just stuff her and her friends were passing around, and I remember her showing me mysterious ways. This is like you know, I was like twelve years old. And I was like really starting to listen to music a lot on my own. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I like this guitar riff. You know, this is fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that wasn't my introduction. My introduction was actually my father. And he had war Mm -hmm. on vinyl. Wow. And he was like, yeah. And he, he, he had a drum kit set up in our, um, in like our living room sometimes. And he would practice drums to, war and uh, and so that was my introduction to it he was like check out this song you know and just playing and he's like these guys rock you know and he never was like a youtube fan or anything he was he just loved that album and that album in particular was my real first introduction to youtube and it was only years later that my sister you know inter- like reintroduced me i suppose to something like youtube uh, during the octane baby time period can you hear can you hear the music in the background yes yes here we go let's listen to a second of this That's off off of War, the song Seconds. Uh, that'd be a good uh, song to play drums to. Nice, nice beat. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, love that song. That that whole album just to me feels just kind of like raw, like they're like a young band exploring sounds and you know um, just kind of screaming into the microphone mm-hmm. and at a faster pace, I think than than uh, their later years, and I just really appreciate that album. So, 
I was thinking about it. I think that there's probably uh, when trying to break down U2's catalog, there's there's different there's different eras for sure. And I would yeah, what war so they had they had they had Boy, they had October, they had Unforgettable Fire, um and War. And I'd say that those are their first four albums. And that's that's that young group that that you're talking about, uh, right? That's right. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think that that's a good categorization of that time period, like early '80s. Yeah, and and they're a very Irish band, uh, definitely super influenced by bands like The Clash and and kind of more kind of punk, raw, like you said, screaming into the microphone, uh, you know kind of weird impressionistic uh lyrics uh they're kind of figuring themselves out you know uh the edge their guitarist is developing his guitar style um which mm-hmm. is one of the more fascinating things from a musical standpoint this the edge doesn't he doesn't really play chords he he does weird kind of single note things does a lot of kind of harmonics and and riffs and kind of is unlike any other guitar player a lot of uh delay you know echo uh reverb kind of stuff um so he's he's kind of defining his sound at this time is this uh is this in that that early era is that is that kind of one of the main kind of parts of u2 that you gravitate towards I think so. I think the band like would would support whatever the edge is doing. It it sounds like, you know, they kind of just all work around that sound. Um I mean certainly there's like, you know, Bono's lyrics and everything. But you know, I, I think when I was younger, I just gravitated a lot towards that guitar sound and then the and then just the, the singing. Yeah, I don't even think I really paid attention to what they were singing about. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of more like what moves you, you know, mm-hmm. when you're listening to a song. It's, and uh, and I really enjoyed the the guitar riffs, you know, from that time period for sure. I think it also carried over into their their next phase pretty mm-hmm. well. You know, the Joshua Tree. Yeah, um, like you know, where the streets have no name has that intro. It just has that guitar riff long intro into something that's kind of like fast and gallopy, you know, um, which, but it was like the, the evolution, you know, of whatever they were trying to do at the time. Yeah. It's very, um, uh, evocative, very emotional. Their stuff always feels to me. Um, so Moving on in my family, my my brother kind of exposed us all to to you two against our will to a level where we all just uh, became fans. And my dad, Doctor Dad, he's your your doctor. My dad, um, he's a big he, he's a big exercise guy, and he had an exercise bike and he had a um, a rowing machine, and he would blast you two. Um, while he was working out and I would be like playing with my baseball cards or my action figures. I would be at such a young age that I would, but when he would play U2, I'd kind of stop and I would just have to, uh, they'd kind of shake me out of my childhood 
kind of um, innocent play, and I would just sit there and, and uh, kind of focus on the music. I have distinct memories of oh, that. Oh, that's cool. Wow. Yeah, so that was, you know, that your whole family was your introduction, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you talked about the, the next phase being uh, kind of where the – Streets Have No Name uh, era, um, Joshua Tree. It's kind of the. It's yeah. kind of when U two becomes a, a kind of searching the, to be embraced by uh, America. Right. It's when their their kind of love love affair with America begins. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. To the to the extent of just completely co-opting a lot of the sounds, you yes. know, but like exploring it and having fun with it. Um, you know, love it or hate it, they they had massive amount of success with it. So yeah, and and I really enjoyed the you know the Joshua Tree album and even Rattling Hum. Um, I think I like had Rattling Hum like re-recorded from like some TV presentation where you put the VHS in uh-huh. and you try to cut out the commercials and you just press record. I had like some really horrible copy and I watched it a lot, you know? We, yeah, we would watch then. Rattle and Hum uh, basically on a loop. We also had it on VHS. But Rattle and Hum is, is you know, so that was their, they came out with the Joshua Tree and became one of the biggest bands in the world all of the sudden, right? They had uh, Where the Streets Have No Name, With or Without You, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, back-to-back, like, top hit singles that just stayed on the charts forever and were constantly on the radio. And then they took this massive tour of of the U.S. and documented it, wrote all these songs inspired by being in the United States, right? Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was that that like huge concert film and double album Rattle and Hum became uh, kind of where their blowback started too, right? That's when people were like, "Oh my God, these guys take themselves so seriously." The black and white photographs, the the preachiness, you know, the speeches that Bono would give mid song about you know this and that issue. I think mm-hmm. that that's I think that that's where they kind of got a little they they got a, in their heads, right? Mhm. Yeah, I mean that's that's the way they tell it also. So. Yeah. I mean that's the way I understand it. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then they go off on a hiatus and 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 that's when Octune Baby was born. Yeah. Yeah, so they they, and they almost they almost break up, right? They're they're completely uh, they don't know which way is up. They 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 try on this rock star image, and it and people kind of hate it, you know. And yeah, and and then they disappear. They go on this hiatus, and then Octung Baby. And I'd say so. Octung Baby is kind of the 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 third era, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, Oxygen Baby for me, like you know, my, like I said earlier, my sister reintroduced me to you two with Mysterious Ways, and then I grabbed a, a hold of the tape that she had of Oxygen Baby, and I just listened to the whole thing, and I was like, 
there was just this kind of like magical, kind of whimsical, sometimes dark, sometimes comical aspect of the album that just really, like, really grabbed me. Like, Octoon Baby, was, it probably was one of the most influential albums other than War for me uh, in their repertoire and then also in my, like, teenage years. That was, like, an, an, just an incredible album. And they and I also respected them. I was like, wow, they just really flipped the script. Yeah, how and would... they willing to try something new. How would you describe what they how yeah they they flipped the script what what is it about octung baby that that they did like so if if rattle and hum was was there like we're going to try to be rock stars what did they do with with octung baby what was the this rebirth um gosh it, i think it i think they were trying to they obviously they were pushing back against the whole taking themselves too seriously and they mm-hmm. were trying to have fun and they were trying to not have to fit themselves inside of uh, some kind of musical box. You know, I think that probably a lot of bands face that you're like, we're playing that we're kind of in this like certain genre. We're in this certain like category and we're yeah. always going to be here. And I think that they were pushing back against that. Um, and I, it, it really worked to their advantage, I would say. I think that the tour they went on with Octune Baby, uh, the Zoo TV tour, was uber successful. My uncle went to one of their shows. He said it was one of the best shows he's ever seen in his life. And I think that they were trying new things on the live presentation. They were going over the top, kind of making fun of that, mm-hmm. you know, big, giant pop star, rock star thing with these huge, elaborate stage presentations. Mm-hmm. And people ate it up. And then they played the classics too, you know, on top of all their new stuff, and it really worked out in their favor. Uh, so, so I, I mean, it might have felt like a leap of faith for them, but yeah. at the same time, it really, really worked for them. I went to two nights of of the uh, Octung Baby of the Zoo, to, Zoo TV tour with my family, and we got somehow. I don't know how my brother did it. He got a uh, he got somebody to like give them their floor, like their floor seat ticket, uh, or he bought a floor seat ticket or exchanged it. So uh, we got to go down on the floor, um, and they would they had like the how the stage came out and they would do their little acoustic numbers, and uh, I was right mm-hmm. there and I screamed and Bono looked looked at me looked directly in my eyes um and uh it was uh, you know for a 12 year old 13 year old kid it was a that was a, a game changer you know i'm sure yeah, he thinks yeah, about he it a lot too like, oh yeah he thinks about that <laughs> and you but you are just thousands and millions of other people so. yeah yeah um, yeah, so they, they had the big TV screens. They were playing with kind of the uh, 24-hour news cycle, right? They uh, And all this imagery and how... how uh, it's funny now because it was pre-internet, but I guess that they were, they were feeling the, the way that our minds were being warped by mass media, right? And they, yeah, when, when, when did CNN go like 24 hours? You know, I think that 
there was some coincidence there. I th- with uh, just yeah, I think that that's uh, it, it was right around that time because it was during uh, the the first Gulf War, which was I think was like ninety one, and then uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and then like and then the OJ trial uh, was the other thing that that really kind of uh, put it in hyperdrive. Um, but yeah, they were playing with that, and they, you know, <laughs> Bono, uh, I guess, in in a way of not taking himself so seriously, also played a character called uh, Mephisto, where he would be like Devil Bono and would dress up like the devil and come out. Uh, Do you ever see video of that? Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and he would do he would do things like uh, call a pizza place and order pizzas for the whole you know crowd and or try to phone in at the White House and that sort of thing and just kind of just play with this character and it was just really over the top. <laughs> yeah. So um, one thing that when you and I were texting about about doing this show that. I, I thought was interesting is in in our travels to uh, different in different countries and overseas and stuff um, and in Latin America there the kind of image of you two is is really different depending on where you go. I was really surprised when, to be when I went to Europe and, and talked to a lot of people from the UK. That was the first time that I really. Uh, could take in how much kind of vitriol there was against Bono and how people couldn't, uh, a lot of Europeans cannot stand him and are completely oversaturated mm-hmm. with him, think he's uh, a buffoon who takes himself way too seriously, don't want anything to do with him. But then, conversely, you were saying, and I experienced this some, somewhat as well, that in Latin America, you two can like do no wrong, right? Oh yeah, and uh, I spent some time in Brazil, and they just love—they just love you two down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, they sell out shows, huge stadiums there, and people just like you know to get a ticket is just really hard. And um, you know, I, you, you hear people playing, you know, you two still like just you know all over the place, and they're they're they have a huge fan base down there. People people love you two. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why there's a big difference. I mean, there could be like a language barrier thing. So like Bono's, you know, ego and radio <laughs> TV presence doesn't get in the way. And so they don't see that side of his personality. They just kind of hear the music and everyone likes it. And they're like, cool, let's go enjoy this. I don't really know what yeah. the difference is, but um, I, it's definitely um, there's a positive you know, reaction to you two down there as far as my experience is concerned and people that I know. I think part of it also might have to do with something else that we, you and I talked about before we did the show was kind of <laughs> how kind of deeply uncool you two is. Um, and, yeah. and they're kind of the best when they don't, uh, I think that that was a lot of the blowback to Rattle and Hum was that when they tried to put on the rock star um, attitude and, and clothing, it just doesn't work. You can smell it a, a mile away, right? And 
they're best mm-hmm. when they're like super earnest, you know. Um, and I think that that is similar to, you know, this is a big generalization, but I think from my experience in Latin America, like super earnest artists that wear their heart on their sleeve can can really be accepted. You know, you have like how much, uh, how big of like, I, do you know that like um, Morrissey and the Smiths are like huge in Mexico and, and you have all these these dudes, super macho guys who sing along with all these Smith songs. Mm-hmm. Um, Love it. You know, that there's this, you know, maybe, maybe that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely could be. It's, it's a bit of a mystery. I mean, I think it's just the way things fall in different parts of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, from my experience going to concerts in Brazil, which is just so fun because I don't know, people just really get into it and enjoy themselves um, at the concerts. And I think they're just there to have a good time. And I know that's also a generalization, but um, you know, if you know the words and you can sing along, that's all you need really to have a good time. And, uh, so people, you know, their songs are on repeat and they're played everywhere. And so people like to have that recognition when they go to a show. And um, it's just, it's kind of like all about just the music, I think. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know what that's like now. Yeah. I, I, I haven't really, I haven't been down there in, in a while to know like what the reaction is now and all these other new albums that have come out since then. Since, like, you know, the, yeah. the earlier days, I would say, the 90s. So, um, yeah, so then there's, so kind of off that, the Octung Baby, there, then there was an album, Pop, that was out next, which kind of tried to ex- continue on that trajectory of kind of fun, surrealist, somewhat psychedelic, uh, just weird, um, somewhat electronic inspired music but but i think both you and i were like did our best to be as into that album as we were into octung baby but it kind of fell off some right yeah well you're forgetting zuropa oh yeah zuropa yes which was recorded during the octune tour i think even like in between their touring exactly and it was that exploration also. And then pop, they were just like, let's take it up a notch yeah, and, and try to go full on with this kind of thing that we're doing. And then at that point, they're just like commodifying. It seems like, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I tried, you know, I, um, I think there's some songs I appreciate and enjoy, but I don't, they're not like what I think of when I, when I hearken back to my uh, nostalgic U2, you know, fanboy time period. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then it's, and then there's, so, but I would say, yeah. So, so Octung Baby, Zuropa Pop, that's, that's kind of whatever that era is. The real, it's like super colorful uh, um, record covers, the, you know th- this like playfulness whatever and and then and then there's another shift and this next shift is i'm not really 
on <laughs> on board with. Uh, I don't. I think that's where I drop off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is like old. What is that? What is that period called? Yeah, what is this era. Well, I think it's... we're still in it. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it will. We're never going to leave whatever this. It's like really this is, wordy. This is the final stage. Yes, it's really wordy song titles too, like, um, and and album yeah. titles like, all the things that you cannot leave behind is isn't that how to dismantle an atomic bomb or something? Yeah, it's like clunky titles and and the lyrics really change too. They're like really kind of direct in in a weird way that doesn't work for me. Um, there's yeah, no line on the horizon. There's the song of innocence, and this in this it's this era you two that uh, forced everyone to to have their one of their albums on their iPhone, which caused another <laughs> huge backlash, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was uh, talking to a mutual friend of ours recently, Sean. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was telling me he still has issues with that. <laughs> on his phone to this day <laughs> and somehow it'll just like start playing and he'll just be like ah oh, how do i get this off so i kind of walk him through on how to get that off your phone because i've done it oh god it was like the still a problem for so many people yeah so they, they just they kind of assumed that everybody would want their album on their iphone and it just downloaded automatically one morning or something yeah, I didn't. yeah, it was there. It was there for, <laughs> to listen to. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. So I don't know what to make of it. I I kind of am am not really on board with with that um, era. Um, but you know, it's it's really interesting, and it was very timely. Um, I sent you this article that came out like two days ago. And it's been all over the internet that <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> that Bono uh, <laughs> basically came out and said he's em- embarrassed of most of U 2s songs. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, he's never really liked his voice. Um, but then, of course, he's like most proud of. He thinks he thinks the new stuff. Is is where he's they've really figured it out, which I I guess you have to feel like that if you're an artist that's been around for that long that is continuing to make new music. But it's just one of these things where it, a, a a lot of times like a, a rock star's self perception is just so off. Well, you know, maybe it could be his own internal journey, and that's fine. Yeah, you know, he can have his journey with his singing, you know, he, I think he said somewhere in that interview that he didn't really feel like he's a singer until very recently, maybe in the past couple of years. And, um, you know, that's, that's his own journey. But, uh, <laughs> I, it, it definitely, I don't agree with the whole, like, uh, you know, they've really come into their own more recently. I definitely agree with, with the cringeworthiness of so much of YouTube's library. And I understand it. And it's almost embarrassing for me to even listen to some of those songs. Um, I tried listening to one of their newer albums when it came out 
I don't know what it's called even. And I just listened to the whole thing through and I, I couldn't, I could barely do it. It was, it was rough for me. I, I just couldn't stand it. Yeah. You know, it just was more of that like era that we're referring to. I don't know. It's like you two went all dad on us in a way that was just, yeah, they're just doing their own thing and making their own songs, I think for themselves. And that's fine, but it doesn't really work for me. Um, he said that the, the only song that he's, uh, proud of is Miss Sarajevo, um, which he did with Pavarotti. So I'm I'm playing that in the background. Um, yeah, it's I I think you're right, Stephen. That you know uh, it is kind of which <laughs> an artist kind of has to have their own journey. But I I just it's also interesting to me that like an artist as as great as they could be their their self perception could be so off because yes i think that it's true that there are some cringy u2 songs but what he's saying is that the stuff that we like is the cringy stuff and then this these like this late era that we can't stand is is where they're really starting to hit their stride yeah, it's like where they had massive success and became worldwide rock stars. Is that's the era where they went wrong? Right? Yeah, yeah. So oh, that's funny. Yeah, I thought that the that he said the song that he appreciates uh, was Vertigo. Yeah. Well, he also said when yeah. he said that's the one where he can sing the most, or like that's where he's really singing. That's a weird song, Vertigo. Um, we were just driving uh, back to New York in the car, and it came on the radio. Um, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of that song. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It feels to me like that song, and, and amongst other ones, I think uh, there's something about the lyrics and direction of it that it's like they're trying too hard to be rockers, yes. you know, or something like that. And it, it just comes across as a little false, but also just, I don't really, I don't really <laughs> like it either. It's, they're trying to be cool. Right? Yeah, they're trying to be cool. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which uh, yeah, to cool. does not, yeah, it, like I've said, I don't think it's a, a, a good look. Um, so, Stephen, there's a... There's this ongoing thing people are making. Uh, listeners of the show are, are are making fun of me, saying I'm I'm going to become a born again Christian, um, and it's only a matter of time. And um, and listener uh, Jay uh, Clarkson just uh, said that, that my love of you too is just another piece of evidence for for that hypothesis because you uh, two. Uh, are also right. like the closest thing to like a, a Christian rock band that there there might has ever have ever been like that's a superstar you know they're all kind of uh, and make no secret of of how they're they're really into Jesus and stuff what what have you ever thought about uh, that aspect of things? Well, I had to think about it quite a bit when I was a young youth group. Uh, you know, church-going, you know, pre-teen adolescent uh-huh. kid who was listening to you two and trying to grapple with, like, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, not that it mattered, because I was never, like, 
my parents are never was like we're gonna burn these records they were never mm-hmm. like that um which is great because like i would listen to the smashing pumpkins too a lot you know so yeah um so none of that mattered but at the same time i was like but if they're like this christian band then that's really cool for me at, during that time period and i remember like listening to songs like 40 mm-hmm. and you know some of the songs off october and being like oh yeah these are these are Christian songs. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then there would be these elusive interviews that people would point to where, you know, they would say a lot of that stuff was inspired by God. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's interesting. And supposedly they, they almost, uh, at another, I can't remember which point it might've been right before Joshua tree where they almost broke up because they, they felt like they couldn't reconcile the, the rock star lifestyle with their, with their Christianity. Um, I think the edge quit the band for a day or two. Um, also speaking of, uh, uncoolness, the, the edge and Bono just as nicknames, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, and aren't uh, they like self-subscribed as well? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they I don't are. Even know that story? I think they are. Uh, they. Oh. Yeah, I want you to start calling me <laughs> the <even> edge. <laughs> yeah, hey. I want you to start calling me Slacker, Slacktronic. Yeah, that's actually going to be my real name that I want you to refer to me. As. Yeah. Also, the edge with his uh, his hats. Um, there's never been a, a rock star who's who's like uh, with with the the skull caps. His baldness has is not. Uh, I guess he doesn't think that's. He should just take the hats off. Jeez, he's bald. He should he should take the hats off. And uh, I don't know. Bono has made so many excuses for the glasses. Like one time they just came on and never came off. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there is a reason there. I don't know, but it's still just—it's one of those things, you know. It's like the the, the cap, the glasses, yeah, the Bono at the edge, where they're just trying to be edgy, for lack of a better word, yeah. And it just—it's too planned out. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Steve, I'm glad we planned this out. How do you like that transition? Um, but I got to get ready. That I got to plan things out for uh, Crime Talk BK, which is coming up next. Uh, don't be a stranger. We got to get you back on. I feel like we could keep talking about the you uh, two, uh, do a whole second uh, episode of this. But thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take, take care. All right. How about that? If you're listening on your phone, you can download the app for your uh, – no. If you're listening on your computer, download the app for your phone. If you like what you're hearing, you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and hit the donate green donate button. You can sign up for the newsletter, figure out what's going on with our some 80 shows. So much talent and dedication on this uh, this here radio station. Let's uh, – Let's wrap it up with one of my favorite U2 songs. This is from the, um, from the album Unforgettable Fire. This is the song Unforgettable Fire. And next week we will be talking to Dr. Lisa. Got to figure out what we're, what we're doing. I, I think I might know. I think I have a good idea. Um, have a good week. Race to the bottom. Peace. Peace.